I was very excited when I saw that we were going to be going through this book right here. Now, there was a problem. I had given my book away at some point in time. I don't know why. I can't remember. So I had to go on to Amazon and see if I could find a, a copy of Gene Getz's book. And I love the fact that there's used books on Amazon. I got this for a really good price. And you know what was really interesting about it? is when I opened it up, it was a signed copy. And guess who it was it addressed to? To Dave. Gene Getz. I thought, what in the world? Not only did I get a hold of his book, but now he's my personal friend and I have a signed copy uh, from him. The reason I was excited is because this book right here was the content for the very first Bible study that I ever taught. And the reason I used this book is because I loved the concept of the book. And so here I was, a young, just graduated from Bible college, and I was delaying going to seminary for a year so that I could hopefully talk my wife, my now wife, into marrying me. And I was successful. It took a year, but I was able to get that across the finish line. And so I thought, what am I going to do with this year? And I did what came natural to me. I decided I wanted to pass on to some of the Bible college students the things that I had learned. And so I went around campus and I stuck these posters up all over the place. Come with us. We're going to meet across the street, an apartment, whatever. And we're going to study Gene Getz's measure of a man. The guy who owned the apartment was a friend of mine, and he had money. I did not. And so he bought snacks, and I taught God's word. And so what a privilege it was for me. And what I liked about it was, as we've already heard in that first session, that Gene Getz just made a very simple point. Just because 1 Timothy 3 1 through 17, is written specifically to church leaders, elders and deacons. It doesn't mean those of us who are not elders and deacons get a pass on that. It's not like, okay, look at all those qualifications and characteristics. I'm not a church leader, so I'll just go out and live however I want. No, this is what the Bible teaches for all believers to aim toward. But for those who are leaders in the church, that's a standard that must be met. And so all of us ought to be aiming for these. And that's true of our particular topic for this session. It says in 1 Timothy 3, let's remind ourselves, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And so that's where we get our words today. But let's think big picture of the Bible about this whole concept of teaching. Let's go to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is supposed to be a part of all of our lives. As we go into the world, we are to preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. This is something that all of us are involved in. We are disciples who are proclaiming so that others become disciples. If I was to really narrow my life down to two Bible or a Bible passage, 
I couldn't do it, but I could do two of them, and even that's hard. But really, it would be 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, be strong in the Lord Jesus, and those things which have been entrusted to you pass on to faithful men who will be able to entrust it to others. You've got four generations there, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and others. It is to be passed on. Everything that you know about God's word has been passed to you. And we are to pass that on. By the way, the other passage that I would go to would be Galatians 4.19. I am in agony until Christ is formed in you. I know those words. I feel those words that Paul was writing to the church at Galatia. I feel that to some degree when I stand before you. I'm in agony till Christ is formed in you. That's why I teach. So I get up on a Saturday morning right now when Alabama Crimson Tide's playing a basketball game. I'm here because I'm in agony until Christ is formed in you. And when this session's over, I'm going to check and see how we're doing. But right now, I'm here. So the Great Commission, Titus chapter 2, if we just thought about that for a moment, what does it say there? Older men are to teach who? Younger men. Older women teach the younger women. No one has a pass on that. And it doesn't mean, well, you got to have gray hair like I do right now. It doesn't mean you have to get there to be older. As I tell even youth, you too are already older than someone. And so pass it on. Pass it on. First Timothy chapter three, verse 15 tells us to always be prepared to make a defense of what we believe to anyone who asks. We should be able to make a defense of that to others. Ephesians 6, 4, again, focused in on parents, the dads, fathers, don't provoke your children, but raise them up in the admonition, uh, instruction and admonition of the Lord. And again, we can say, well, I'm not a dad. You don't get a pass. Think about the context of that. That is saying, listen, dad, in your home, you make sure your children are being instructed. So I tell even single men, in your home, make sure of that. Walk with people in such a way that the word is being passed on to them. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that we are to pass the word on to our children when we rise up, when we lie down, when we walk by the way. What's the point? In all of life, make sure you're passing on the word of God. And so one day I'm sitting on the curb. My son, and we, we lived on a cul-de-sac and we had a basketball goal out there and we played basketball every day. We just both loved the game. And so we were sitting on that curb, sweating, water bottle, and here comes the, the dad of his best friend driving down the road in a brand new Hummer. And Andrew says, Dad, I wish we had a Hummer. Wish we could afford one. So there we are sitting on the curb, and we're not just taking a breather. That's a when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way moment. And so I say to my son, you know, mom and dad could afford a Hummer if we wanted to. But mom and dad have chosen to live life differently than your best friend's dad. We're investing in eternal things. And instead of buying that, let me tell you where our money's going. Now, he would still rather have a Hummer after I had that conversation with him. 
Now, listen, if you drive a Hummer, I'm not saying anything against Hummers. I mean, I drive a 2000 Toyota 4Runner. But you know why? I love my car. It doesn't cost me anything, and it's a tank. It's going to drive forever. Just do your research on 2004 runners. They're amazing. It's got 150,000 miles. It's good for 400. I'm, this is the last car I will ever own. I am going to die in this car. But I love it, but there's a reason why I don't want a car payment every month. I want to be investing in other things. And so, again, this is not about whether you have a car payment or not. This is about me and my wife sitting down and deciding how we want to live. And there sits my son, sweat dripping down, and I'm going to teach him in that moment. This is, this is why we make these decisions, Andrew. We could drive a Hummer. We choose not to. There's something bigger to live for, son. And I think he's finally there. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord for that. So we get to this particular qualification today, able to teach. And I've got a few facts there. You got the Greek word there. It means skilled in teaching. Moses Silva in his revised, this all these abbreviation here, New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology and Exegesis. I forgot to write all that out. I'm just so used to using that. But he talks about it. And so it's translated in different ways. And so I don't know what translation you carry with me. I have the English Standard Version. It says able to teach, the KJV, apt to teach, the new Revised Standard Version, and apt teacher. It's a word that's only used two times in the New Testament, but here it is. In fact, when we read through these 17 verses in the very first session where we were all gathered in here, it's important to note that there, there is something distinctive about being an elder because what is the difference between an elder and a deacon? Both of them are very high quality in character. The major distinction is apt to teach. And so, again, what we need to understand is that's because that's a certain responsibility to given to those who function in that office, but it doesn't give deacons a pass on that. It doesn't give us a pass on that either. So what does this mean? Now, when you get into Getz's book, it's the chapter that's called Communicating Sensitively. And he doesn't put all of his focus on the ability to teach, but rather on knowing the truth in such a way that your life is marked by it. And then you are able to communicate that word to others. In other words, everyone of us in this room should embody the truths of God's word. Our lives should look like the Bible, but then we also need to be able to pass that on to others. So there's four principles that I want to pull out in the time we have remaining. And so I, let's begin with the first one right here. It means that all men should be teachable. So the four points that I'm raising here, I consider to be a complement to what Gene Getz does in his book. I didn't want to just get up here and teach what he taught. I thought, you know, let me just think about this big picture. And so it's interesting, when I landed on these four principles, they weren't found in his chapter, except maybe a little bit of overlap. So this is a good complement to what he writes there. But I felt like this was such a necessary place to begin, before you can teach others, you must be teachable. In other words, you cannot pass on that which you have not already received. And I'm talking about not just receiving it in your head or you're going to be passing on simple facts. I'm talking about truths that you received in your head. They've been pushed down into your heart. You embody these truths and you pass them on, not just in word, but in action is the way it gets passed on. 
Each man is to be teachable so that they can learn, so that they are able to pass that teaching on to others. But it begins with that being teachable and learning yourself. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, we've been there already, but I want to look at it a little more closely now. We're not under the Mosaic Covenant And so anytime we get to this part of the Bible, we have to realize this is a covenant that is not ours, but God's word is inspired, profitable doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, and this is there. And this is one of those passages that easily translates into the church today, easily translates into it. Now notice what it says, chapter 6 in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Stop right there. These words. So this is the second generation after the Exodus. The first generation, remember, they disobeyed the Lord. They wandered in the wilderness. They died. And now we've got Moses. He's not going to go into the land because he struck the rock rather than spoke to it. Now he's got the second generation who most of them were not at Mount Sinai. And he's reiterating to them certain things. And he says, these words, all these words must be on your heart. And that's where where I get this concept of we've got to be teachable. There has to be a receiving of God's word so that it's not just in our mind, it is in our heart. It's got to be implanted here. When I think about the church today, I, I fear that there, there's probably a lot of things that are missing, but really two things that, that have been heavy on my heart. The first one is repentance, and I could say a lot about that. I think the reason there's a lack of repentance is because we aren't hearing God's word and planting it into our heart in being transformed. But the second one is meditation. So meditation is such an important concept. And here's my definition of meditation. You read it over and over and over and over and over and over until it becomes who you are. That's what it is. We, we are to be in this word over and over and over. And when does it end? Not until it becomes who we are. We, we embody it. We live it. And that's what Moses is saying here in De- Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is to be on your heart so that when you speak, you're, you're speaking out of godliness. When, when you act, you're acting out of godliness. When, when you engage with people, it's in a godly way that you engage with them. When, when you make decisions in life, your decisions reflect the creator of the world who has communicated himself to you and shown you how to live. And so when your your son says, I wish we had a Hummer, there's something fundamentally different about you that communicates effectively a different value system to your son because it's on your heart. We could also think about 2 Timothy chapter 3, Verses 16 and 17, a passage that probably most of us are familiar with. 
All scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for doctrine. Think about this, this aisle right here. The word of God is profitable for doctrine. It teaches us how to live life. That's the aim. So it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It shows us when we've gotten off this path and we're over here somewhere, not that you guys are off the path, but to stick with my analogy. And then it shows it's profitable for correction. It shows us how to get back on the path of life and it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. How to stay there, how to continue to live there. And so when we think about this passage, if the word of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, when we sit underneath the teaching of God's word, what should it be doing to us? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. There's a receiving of it that does something like that in our lives. So you've got to be teachable for that to happen. So I want us to think just real practically for a moment. A necessary action step. It's necessary that when we are sitting in a context where we are opening up God's word and we are trying to learn from it, it's important that whether it's a devotional Bible study we're in, driving down the road, listening to a podcast, opening up the word in your own private devotions, it's important in all of that that we are to learn with all humility. Remember what James 1 says. We're not just to be hearers of the word. We're to be doers. So in other words, a sermon has not had its full effect until there's a life transformation that takes place for us. And so people in my church are very aware of a joke that's between us. I was at a particular context once, and I was, I was preaching my heart out. And I could feel, I mean, I could just feel God working in that moment. I could feel that, that there was something happening in the lives of the people who were there. And afterwards, after preaching my heart out, a guy walks up to me and says, Hey, good speech. <laughs> what? Good speech? But can we critique ourselves for just a moment? Don't we often approach a sermon like that? Well, that was a good word. I didn't connect with me. That wasn't one of his best. No, this is God's word being opened up. It doesn't even matter who's proclaiming it. It is God's word. And we are to be the kind of people who receive it and it has an impact. Listen to, be reminded of what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5. See, this is important for us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter reminds us that Satan crouches like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I mean, just feel free to look around the room. Satan is crouching. Imagine that next year, on this exact day, at this exact time, all of us gathered in this room again. Perhaps Satan would have gotten a hold of one of you and you were no longer walking with Jesus. Does that happen? It does. I remember sitting in a Talbot Chapel where 
a, a, a man was preaching and he was reflecting on his times at Talbot and he heard someone talk about the number of pastors who were falling by the wayside and, and in his Bible, he made a list of names. Oh, so-and-so would never walk away from the Lord. No, no, no someone, they never commit that kind of sin that would lead them away from the ministry. Made a list of names. I can't remember how many names were on the list. But as he preached in chapel on that day, he told us that recently he had crossed through the very last name. Every one of them. He sat there as a seminary student and said, never would this happen. And little by little through the years, one by one, Satan, who crouches like a roaring lion, had devoured each person on that list. None of us in this room are exempt from that. Not at all. That's a sobering reality for us. So let me give a, a practical implication of this. When you sit underneath the teaching of God's word, take notes. Just take notes. Now, I preach on a somewhat regular basis. I teach Sunday school every week. And let me give you the, the, the normal posture of men. That's the normal posture. Let me give you the normal posture of their wives. Now, that's a stereotype, but I hope my point is made. Now, listen, what you don't want to do is go out of here saying, okay, rule number one, take notes. That You would miss the point of what I'm trying to say here. What I'm trying to say here is be teachable. Be teachable. It's not just a good speech. It's God's life's transforming word. And God has put in front of you someone with the gift of teaching. Why? So that the body might be built up. So that immaturity could be put away. And everyone would grow up to the, the fullness of the stature of a godly body of Christ. And so we receive it. And we want to do everything we can. Here's a good habit. When the day is over, Reflect. So you've sat underneath the teaching of God's word. Reflect on that. And so this is very important for us to think about this. But let me get on to our second point because I want to make sure I cover each one of these. Number two, not only must you be teachable, it means that men must exercise the same duties as the shepherds in their churches because they are shepherds in their homes. Now, reflecting on this, I wish I would have stated it a little bit different because, again, not all, not all of you are married, are you? And so, well, I, I don't have a home. No, I, I would change that to in whatever context you find yourself. In a living situation with people, you ought to be that kind of man. Fighting for one another's holiness. Fighting to keep everyone walking on this path right here encouraging that, encouraging the growth that should take place. In Ephesians 4.11, it tells us that, that the, the pastor teacher is to be equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. And we ought to be encouraging one another to do the same thing and even equipping if that's necessary. When you think about leadership in the Bible, it's very interesting. And I've never done a full-blown study of this. This was just in my casual thinking about it, whenever there is leadership or responsibility given, that leadership and responsibility is always exercised in submission to God's word. Always. So let's go to Adam and Eve. 
in the garden. If you read very closely, Adam was given the rules of the garden. Listen, Adam, look at all the trees. You can eat whatever you want, but there's one tree in the center of the garden. Do not eat of that tree. And then God created Eve. So how did Eve find out about this tree in the garden? Somehow it had to be communicated to her by Adam. See, Adam's leadership was, was really involved with living according to God's word, leading according to God's word, communicating according to God's word. We could think about the king in Israel, and you go to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 15 through 17, where it gives the specific guidelines for a king. The king who sat on the throne, it was not about his power, about his prestige. I'm the boss. I'll set in rule, in motion, whatever rule I want. You follow me. You follow my agenda. No, Deuteronomy 17 says the king, when he goes to the throne, is to write out a copy of the law. Why? Because when he leads his people, he leads them in the path of righteousness. According to the word of God, the king on his throne with all that power was to be yielded to Yahweh. And when he led, he led people toward Yahweh. That's what he did. That was his authority. That was his responsibility. We could fast forward to even the pastor in the local church. What is a pastor's responsibility on a Sunday morning? Not to make things up. Open up the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord. This is what we preach. And decreasingly, that is true in churches today. So I have a a friend that I have worked out with on a regular basis throughout the years and and I found out he was Catholic and we begin to talk. He loves the fact that I'm religious and I do God's work all around the world. But we kept talking and we began to talk about the gospel just a little bit. And then we decided we would, he would come to my church and I would go to his church. Okay, that's how I'm going to get him in the church. Hey, Tom, I'm preaching on Sunday. Will you come? And so we, he came. So the, the following Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, whatever it was, we were working out, sweat, sweat dripping down, and we sat down for a second, and he said, hey, do you guys always do that in your church? I said, do what? He goes, you know, open up your Bibles. <laughs> and, and just look at just a few verses, and then preach on it for so long. I said, yeah. That's what we do week after week. I said, what, what do they do in your church? He goes, well, my priest, we, we call it a homily. He just gets up and, you know, talks about whatever's going on out there in the culture and what he thinks about it. And he goes, sometimes there's a connection to God in some kind of way, but no, we don't do like you do in your church. I said, Tom, you want to learn the word? You go to a church that does that. Now, I praise the Lord that, that Tom has actually gotten saved. He's a follower of Christ, but he's still in the Catholic Church. I'm still working on him. I said, Tom, how are you going to grow in Christ? Listening to a homily. And so we, we continue to work on that. But, I mean, religious traditions go deep, don't they? And so just continuing to work with Tom, but he's got an appetite to know the word. What is a pastor supposed to do? Preach the word and go through it. And don't shy away from the hard things. Preach them. 
And so what do we do as men as well? We involve ourselves in this also. We, because we are given certain leadership responsibilities and certain authorities as being men in this world, which, by the way, is a, a decreasingly popular view as well, but because that is true, we also should be ones who are passing on the truths of God's word. Ongoing teaching is necessary by husbands in the home, by friendships that we have. It ought to be there. So let's think about some specific teaching passages again. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We were there earlier, and all we stopped with, Moses says, all the things that I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. It's got to mark you. It's got to be who you are. But then he goes on, and he says, and you need to pass this on. Teach your children when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way. So there's my son and I sitting on the curb, sweating, playing basketball, and I'm teaching spiritual truths. This is to be the way we live our lives. Ephesians chapter 5, we could think about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. And when we look at our wives, there ought to be this sense of, I want you to know Jesus. I want Jesus to be formed in you. I want the gospel to be increasingly who you are. And a wife ought to look that way at her husband as well. But there ought to be this sacrificing love to where I'm going to point you here. When, when you talk about being the husband in the home, that's what it means. Not that you get your way. Not that you're the all-powerful one who can make decisions. Not that your perspective is better than anybody else's in the room. But you are yielding yourself to the authority of God and passing that on to others. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, same thing. Fathers to children. What is the, 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 the basis of the message that's being passed on? It's the Lord. It's what the Lord has communicated Again, when we think about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, if the word of God is powerful to, for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, then that should impact our hearts and should flow out of us as well. When we receive the word as doctrine, we proclaim it as doctrine. When we receive it as reproof, we proclaim it as reproof. When we receive it as correction, we proclaim it as correction. Instruction in righteousness, we proclaim it as instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.2 goes on where Paul is just pleading with Timothy to stay the course and keep on being a preacher of God's word. He reminds that it's the, the word of God reproves, rebukes, and exhorts. And as a man of God, we ought to be involved in each one of those in our lives. As the word impacts our own hearts, we are better able to apply that teaching to the hearts of others. And ultimately, I like Titus 1.9 as a framework for this. When we think about what does this mean, I mean, not, not all of you are going to be a preacher of God's word on a Sunday morning. You may not even teach Sunday school or be asked to lead a Bible study, but all of us ought to hold on to Titus chapter 1 Verse 9, what, what does it mean? In, in Titus, it doesn't use the words able to teach. It says it differently. I like the way it says it. I'm talking about elders again, but now we're talking about all of us. You must hold firm. Okay, it's got to be on your heart. See, that's so important that we're teachable, that we're receiving, that we're doers. It's there. He must hold firm to what? The trustworthy God as taught. We have received something. We've been teachable. We've been taught something. Something's been given to us so that. Those are always important words. Why? What's the so that? 
he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So we ought to have that ability. It doesn't mean you have to stand up in front of people, but your life is one that holds firm and can teach and can defend. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. That's the way we ought to live our lives. It's imperative that all of us establish a good foundation of understanding the word of God. So let me give you a a necessary action step. Men should proactively do everything they can to learn as much about the word of God as possible. And when I use the word learn there, I'm I'm actually talking about it's got to be on your heart and you're living it. That's what we mean by learn. You actually live. So what are some practical implications of this? When you sit underneath the teaching of God's word, take notes. Now, let me add to that. Later, restudy the passage with your notes. Make your notes even clearer and better so that you could teach it to others. Maybe sit down with your wives, with your children, with those you live in context with and say, man, that was a powerful sermon this morning. Let's work our way through this passage. Let's, let's, let's really try to reinforce our understanding of what was taught. And then you begin to pray through it. So you're meditating on it over and over and over until it becomes who you are. And as a result of the preached word, there'll be some instruction. There'll be some reproof. There'll be some correction. Repentance might need to take place in your life. Commitments, accountability might need to take place in your life. But you're taking it that separate step. We've turned Sunday into just another day of the week. One time we were having a Saturday night service at our church and we were trying to get a poll from people about, you know, why they might go to the Saturday night service instead of the Sunday morning service. And one guy just put it bluntly. You know what? By going to church on Saturday night, I can play on Saturday and I can play on Sunday and squeeze church in on Saturday evening. That's, that's not the way this is supposed to work. Now, again, we're not under the law. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But there's a principle there that we need to bring into our life. And it would be good for us not just to be at church, not just receive the word, but then go home and meditate on it. More and more thinking about how we're going to live it in our lives. I remember as a young pastor, we had a really ugly church situation. They ended up booting the pastor out. I got thrust into preaching. I'm trying to finish up my PhD studies and and preach at a regular basis. And I was discipling a a man in the church. And he really impacted me one day when he came up to me and he said, listen, I really appreciate Sunday sermon, so much good information. But can you just tell me how to live on Monday? That's that's what I want to know. Can you just tell me how to live on Monday? What was he evidencing in his life? that he was teachable and that he didn't want to just receive a good speech. He wanted something that he could feed and live in his life and even pass on to others. That's what we're talking about here. And so even look at the second practical implication is buy books for your home. I think that we ought to have good resources in every Christian home. And so I just give you several of them right there, Expositor's Bible Commentary. You could buy a 12-volume set, or they actually reduced it down to a one-volume Old Testament, a one-volume New Testament, and I'm telling you, it is full of nuggets of truth. Just two two good one-volume commentaries. 
Wayne Grudem, systematic theology. Does it matter to me what systematic theology? Well, I guess there's some systematic theologies I would not recommend. But for the most part, there's systematic theology that they think are really good. And for a while there, I even had Grudem systematic theology sitting beside my bed. And sometimes I would go into bed early and I would just open it up and say, what do I want to read again? Why? Because I want to learn. I want to be teachable. I want to be able to explain that to others. I want to just continue to learn what God's word has to say. Or you got an Old Testament survey or a New Testament survey here. Just simply looking big picture at all the different books of the Bible. And then when a question is asked in your home, as a student of God's word, you're doing everything you can to learn everything you can so you can pass it on. You have a resource there to help you. And it's important for us to have those resources in our homes. But let's move on to point number three. It means that men must be growing in their ability to proclaim the truth of God's word as well as defend against error or misinterpretation of God's word. So now I'm just simply building. Each one of these points just build on the other. So again, thinking about Titus chapter 1, verse 9, my Bible still opened up there. We are to hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught to us. We are to be able to give sound instruction or give instruction in sound doctrine. And we are to be able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. So we hold firm to it so that, and then there's an offense and there's a defense. The offense is be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. The defense is to be able to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. And both of them ought to be there for us. We ought to be able to proclaim the truth. I have a a quote there by David Platt, written to elders, written to pastors specifically. Not all of you might get up at a conference such as this and proclaim God's word or in your church and proclaim it like I've already said, but I think the words that Platt wrote to pastors ought to be true to every one of us in this room. And an elder must know the word and spread the word throughout the church and from the church throughout the world. He must be able to persuade people with the word, plead with people from the word, comfort people with the word, encourage people from the word, instruct people in the word, and lead the church according to the word. This is non-negotiable. I would say we could take out the word elder and put man in there, and this is the call of all of us. And all Platt's doing is using biblical language there of what we do with the word. I think every man ought to be focused on this in order to be a man after God's own heart. I think we could also think about Paul's words, just one page over in my Bible, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy 3, he's just working through all this bad stuff that's going on in the world. And then he says, towards the end of chapter 3, we've got Scripture It shows us how to live. And so in chapter 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Wow. Okay, that's, that's the charge right there. In this presence, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander in the myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
All of us need to realize the world in which we live, in the airs, all the things we're being bombarded with. What in the world in the last 10 years? How in the world is all of this happening in the United States of America? And we're just watching it happen. And we need to be men who are prepared in the midst of all that. We are fighting for people's holiness. We are fighting for biblical integrity. We cannot shrink back from the truths of God's word. There is an offense for us to proclaim, but already in 2 Timothy 4, we're moving towards, there's a defense as well. We are to defend against error. Everywhere that God's word is proclaimed, Satan is actively seeking to tear it down. In the Garden of Eden, God gave one rule. Don't eat of that tree. Chapter three, Satan, he comes in. Crouching, like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and he did. Now, fortunately, there's forgiveness. There's the blood of the cross. There's atonement. We can be reconciled to God, but that's what Satan does every step of the way. Jesus comes to one of the most important times in his life, and he's surrounded by his disciples, and they're, they're all in. And, Peter's, and he says to Peter, 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 Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed that when you return, you'll be able to encourage the brothers. Right there, Job, Satan comes before God. You just put a hedge around him. Let me at him. God says, all right, go for it. Just don't touch him. Yeah, but he's still, all right, go for it. Just don't take his life. And God was doing a work in Job in the midst of all of this, but Satan is seeking to attack and take down. He's an angel of light. His schemes are ones that want to just get you to depart from the faith. He's an opponent of God's truth, and we must know the truth so that we can proclaim it. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, Paul writes this to Timothy, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And then watch this. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. There's two things I think we really got to pull out of that verse. The first one is, what is our job? It's to defend with gentleness. What is God's job? to give them a way of escape from the snare of the devil. We can't talk anybody off the cliff. We can't talk anybody from walking down a path. All we can do is proclaim, thus saith the Lord, and pray like mad that God does something to do a work in their lives. So we reprove, even in chapter 4 again, reprove, rebuke, exhort. First, first Peter chapter 3, verse 15, do it with gentleness and respect. And that leads us into this final point that I want to make sure we have time to, to look at. I want to get there. You can see my necessary action step, practical implications. But this fourth point, it means that men must be winsome in the manner in which they proclaim the truths of God's word to a world that desperately needs to hear. There's something about being a man. God has wired us a certain way. And sometimes we, we can become a carnal man. And what, what I mean by that is when we get to an argument, we want to win. It's about finishing on top. 
going to win this thing. And so we just bolster down and we strengthen our arguments all to defeat the person we're talking to. And the Bible doesn't give any room for that. The Bible clearly says this is not about you winning. God is the one who does the winning. You simply, as the representative of God, you move toward people proclaiming the truth when there's error, when there's heresy, then you defend the truth and you're doing everything you can to become capable of doing that, but you don't have to win. You're simply doing your work so that God can do his work. It's not that God needs us to do our work so that he can do his work, but that's the way he works. He lets us be a part of it. And so we're not quarrelsome. It's with gentleness. We're correcting, but it's with gentleness. And we could do a whole session on this because there's sometimes you put people, sorry about that, you put people out of the house of God, don't you? But usually we're just working with people and especially people outside the church. You've got to become a person who willingly asks questions of the biblical text. There's a lot of things you don't understand about the Bible. That's okay. But the more you are able to realize, I have a lot of questions about the Bible, the more you allow people to have a lot of questions about the Bible as well. Because we're all in this together. We are all at the foot of Jesus. We're looking up at him, and we are trying to learn everything we can. He's given us his word, but the only way we can ever understand this is because of the Holy Spirit who's in us, who turns the light on. This is the word that we need, and so we're doing everything we can to grasp it. This is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. It's what shows us how to live. It shows us what is error. And if you've ever been out in the dark, and I mean really dark, and you've got a flashlight that's starting to go bad, you know, and you're kind of pounding it, you know, and tightening everything up, maybe pull the batteries out, blow on it, put it back in, you know, it's still just a weak light. That's not very effective for darkness. But some of us live life that way. We've just got a little weak, piddly flashlight not only does it not shine our path, it's of no good to anybody else that's out there. What we need to have is a good, solid flashlight that when we shine it on the path, everybody around us can see the way. It's a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. And we share that light with others. And if, if someone's off in the wrong, we try to pull them back and we do it with Gentleness with winsomeness. First Peter 3 again says, do it with gentleness and respect. I, I get your question. I get how you end up there. And I know it doesn't make sense to you what God's word says, but let's keep our focus where it belongs on what God's word says. And we can do that gently. We don't have to win. We don't have to fight. We simply are to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim his word. So may I encourage all of you to, when you read through 1 Timothy chapter 3 and you see those words able to teach, it does a work inside of you and you say, I want to be teachable so that I can teach, so that I can pass on my faith. I want it to mark my life so that I can pass it on to others and it can mark their life as well. That's what it means to be men.
That's what God's called us to do. So let me pray for us. Lord, please. Each one of us in this room needs to do something coming from this passage. Lord, there may be husbands in this room who have never prayed with their wives. Lord, please help them to just do a simple thing like lead in prayer. There are men in this room who have never opened their Bible with their children. Lord, please guide them in that way. Give them that kind of a burden. Lord, there's some in here who defend rigorously and they're hated for it. Lord, give them a gentle spirit, winsomeness. Lord, whatever it is you want to do in us, I pray that as we leave, our eyes are on you. We praise your name. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. And so, Lord, right now we say, whatever it means for each one of us, we give ourselves to you more fully right now. Have your way in us. Do a work in us. Help us to be the men that you have created us to be in this world and recreated us to be in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will transform us so that we can be a part of the transformation that you're doing in our families and in our church and in this world. And we pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you.